scripture lesson this morning is from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said, Let our Lord now command the servants who attend you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the harp. And when this evil spirit is upon you, he will play it, and you'll feel better. And one of the young men answered, I've seen a son of Jesse from Bethlehem who's skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And so Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And David came to Saul and entered Saul's service, and Saul loved him greatly. And whenever the evil spirit came upon Saul, David took the harp and played it with his hand, and Saul would be relieved and feel better. Pray with May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love people of omnivorous curiosities and omnicompetent capabilities. My business manager at my church in Connecticut was such a guy. He was our Bev Lang, and Don could do anything, fix anything, and build anything. He was trained as a CPA but never sat for the exam, and so he spent his career working for a series of nonprofits, including my church, and so our books were the cleanest and tightest in New England. About 10 years ago, we tore down my whole church except the sanctuary and started over, 40,000 square feet of new construction. And Don designed and oversaw the construction of this building. And to this day, when people use that building in various ways, they say to themselves with wonder and delight, who had the vision to think of this? He was a great patriot. Three of his children flew fighter jets for the Navy and the Air Force. One of them became a captain. Loved motorcycles. Do you know what the Four Corners Club is? For motorcycles, the Four Corners Club is when you get 21 days to ride to the four most extreme corners of the continental United States. So you go to Madawaska, Maine, Key West, Florida, San Isidro, California, and Blaine, Washington in 21 days. Now Don could never leave the church for 21 consecutive days because it would fall apart without him, and so he took four consecutive summers to ride his bike, bicycle to the four corners of the United States. He worked with me for 15 years and everything we were able to accomplish during that time as a church was because of Don. Shortly after I left Connecticut, Don was at the manse where I'd lived for 17 years. The church owns my former home, so Don was in my driveway making sure everything was okay when he had a stroke. He was able to call 911 himself before he lost consciousness and he lingered for a few days but then died at the age of 66, and I still miss him like crazy. So when you have just one talent, you love people with omnivorous curiosities and omnicompetent capabilities. And I know you're wondering to yourself just now, what one talent does he think he has? <laughs> so I like the Jason Bourne movies. Do you like Jason Bourne who can hotwire a truck or fly a helicopter or forge a fistful of fake passports from seven countries, outwit and outrun the entire CIA, 
perform an emergency tracheotomy on the street corner with the barrel of a pen and hack the Pentagon's computer. Or I like Liam Neeson from the Taken films or MacGyver from TV. Omnivorous curiosities and omnicompetent capabilities. And that's just the way the Bible describes King David, right? He was a giant slayer. He was a warrior. If he lived in the United States, the president would have given him the Medal of Honor. David was a movie star before there were movies. The Bible tells us that he was ruddy and handsome and had beautiful eyes. David was on the cover of People magazine before there was People magazine. He was an empire builder. When David took the throne about 960 years before the birth of Jesus, Israel was a loose confederacy of bickering clans spread scantily across a thin sliver of land the size of Vermont, stuck into the heart of the Middle East like a dagger. And when he died 40 years later, Israel was one of the world empires to be reckoned with. Everybody loved David on sight. The Jewish people loved David and have been looking for his worthy imitation for 3,000 years. Jesus of Nazareth has three important titles, Son of God, Son of Man, and Son of David. His name is Yeshua bar David. And yet for all David's exploits in military conquest and international diplomacy and political intrigue, the most lasting legacy of his life might be his accomplishment in the world of music. He wrote songs, he sang songs, he played songs. The Bible tells us that when King Saul is plummeting into one of his suffocating Stygian bouts of depression, David would howl out the ancient version of Eric Clapton's Fender Stratocaster, and pluck Saul's mood back to a more placid state. Now music doesn't always have such a beneficent effect. A friend of mine is a doctor at Greenwich Hospital and he tells me that his patients love to regale him with every doctor joke that's ever been told in the history of doctor jokes. And he said a patient came up to him and said, Hey doc, have you heard of the placebo domingo effect? And the doctor says, no, what is the placebo domingo effect? And the guy says, the placebo domingo effect is when someone only thinks he can sing. But the Bible also tells us that David wrote 73 of the 150 songs in the Hebrew Psalter, just shy of half. Now, Princeton Seminary would revoke my degree if I didn't tell you that many modern Bible scholars are suspicious of this Davidic attribution. The final anthology of the Psalms as we know it didn't come along until about 700 years after David's death. And that's a lot of time between composition and publication. If you found a weathered old poem slipped into the pages of an old book in a secondhand bookshop and you told the world that this poem was written by Chaucer, the English department at Oxford University would have a few pointed questions for you. That's how much time was between when David lived and when the book of Psalms was compiled, as we know it, 700 years. And there's also the common tendency of ancient unknown poets to borrow more famous names to give their poem more heft and punch and celebrity. It wasn't fake news exactly, but it also wasn't quite the truth. So there is that. And yet, it's a wonderful tableau to conjure with, isn't it? Shepherd boy David plucking his harp, 
and making the words and notes up as he goes along while he sits there in the green pastures and beside the still waters watching his sheep. Now, some of us come from Presbyterian or Congregational or Reformed backgrounds, and if so, you are a, a distant descendant of your theological ancestor, John Calvin, from 16th century Geneva. Calvin had a deep, deep respect for the power of music. In fact, his respect for music was so deep that it verged on fear and suspicion. Calvin thought that music was such a powerful language that it could get you to do almost anything. Calvin's attitude towards music was like the John Lithgow minister in the film Footloose. Music was nuclear, like nuclear power, muscular but dangerous. You handled it very carefully. And so in Calvin's Geneva and in the daughter reform tradition since then, down the centuries, the only music that we would be allowed in divine worship were these vernacular translations of David's ancient Hebrew songs. In some conservative corners of the Reformed tradition to this day, that's true. The only music in worship is David's psalms. It's been our prayer book and song book for the synagogue and later the church for 3,000 years. It's the way we pray to God. It's the way we praise God. It's the way we thank God. It's the way we plead with God. For the last 3,000 years, the influence of the book of Psalms on our understanding of God is just incalculable. In Connecticut, we had our own version of Presbyterian homes in Evanston. You would go there to retire or you would go there to receive hospice care at the end of your life or you would go to rehab after surgery or illness or stroke. There was a wonderful memory unit there and every Sunday afternoon, one of the local clergy would go to this place to lead a worship service and to preach a sermon. And it took about an hour to push all the wheelchairs down the halls to the chapel. And one Sunday I went to preach there and I stood to read my text, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me into green pastures and besides still waters. He restores my soul, yea, though I walk. And as I read, the whole congregation joined me in reading the psalm with me. I hadn't planned it to be a unison reading. I wanted to read it for them but they wanted to join me. And I knew for a fact that some of these people did not recognize their own children. They had forgotten the names of their children, and yet they remembered the words to David's simple little childish song. The last memory in their minds and the last word on their lips. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Craig Barnes tells a similar story. Craig Barnes is presently the president of Princeton Seminary, but he spent most of his career as a parish pastor. He served the Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh and the National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. And at one of these churches where he served, they had the most wonderful matriarch. She'd been married to one of the former pastors, but he died a long time ago and her influence on the congregation outshone and outlasted his. And Dr. Barnes remembers her watching her work the room after church 
one Sunday in the fellowship hall. He says she glided across the floor of the fellowship hall so gracefully she looked like a prima ballerina. So she touches the shoulder of someone who's just recently lost a husband of 50 years. And then she greets a first-time worship visitor with a wide smile and with introductions to longtime members of the church. And then she soothes the hurt feelings of a board member who is still nursing his wounds from a difficult committee meeting. And I wondered to myself, is this that congregation's Marlene Bowen or Sally Smith? Moves gracefully across the fellowship hall like a prima ballerina. But now this ancient matriarch is afflicted with dementia and she's in the retirement facility and Dr. Barnes goes to call on her and he thinks to himself that this might be the last time he will ever see her. And so he makes small talk and he reads scripture for her and he prays for her, but she has trouble following the logic of his words and suddenly she breaks out into song. Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. A mighty fortress is our God. Amazing grace. She even knows the second and third verses. And Dr. Barnes tries to sing along, but he's forgotten the words. She hasn't. Every one of these songs is inspired by David's Hebrew songs. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The last memory in her mind and the last words on her lips. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.